guys are seekers of the strange or open-minded individuals, I think you've landed in the right place. Welcome to the show. This is Increase of All Reality Podcast. I'm Shane. As always, I have an awesome guest for you guys today. But before we get into that today, of course, we, as usual, we got to run through the front of house stuff. Uh, if you guys don't mind leaving a review for the show, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, if you guys go over to iTunes and you guys leave a review on there, I will give you guys a shout out on the show, of course, and read it on the show. Uh, if you guys don't mind sharing the show with a friend, uh, that's another way to help the show grow. And any bit of help that you guys do, you guys rock for it. And uh, I couldn't be doing this stuff without you guys. So uh, if you guys aren't already following the show on social media, I definitely recommend going and doing that if you guys want to get updates on anything going on with the show. The one that I'm the most active on, of course, is Instagram. So that'd be the first one I recommend going and checking out. Uh, If you guys want to have some awesome conversations with some awesome people, you guys can go and check out the Telegram or the Discord, of course, for the show. Uh, If you guys are interested in being a guest on the show, be it you're an author, whistleblower, researcher, conspiracy theorist, contactee, uh, paranormal investigator, the list goes on and on. I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you, so don't hesitate to shoot me a message. Uh, You can do so through Instagram, of course. As I mentioned, that's the one that I'm the most active on. Uh, You guys can also email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. Uh, if you guys can't get enough of what I'm doing and you guys enjoy the content that I put out, I do do another show. That show is called Bizarre Encounters. And just like the name, of course, it's all about Bizarre Encounters. I got two awesome co-hosts over there, Orin and Jenny, who help me deep dive into the strange so that we can bring you the weirdest possible information. And uh, it's a really fun show. Uh, we have some some jokes that we do along the way, of course. We get deep into theories, but there's always some exciting stuff going on over there in Bizarre Encounters. So go and check that one out. Uh, if you guys want to get updates on everything that I'm doing all as a whole. Uh, I do keep all of my stuff under the name Open Minds Media, which is kind of like my podcast production company. So uh, you guys can go and check that out on Instagram and there you'll get updates on not just one show in particular, but all the shows I'm doing and any new episodes coming out of anything. So that's definitely something I recommend doing if you guys are interested in that. Uh, If you guys want to support the show, there's multiple ways to do so. One of which is becoming uh, a Patreon member and joining the ranks of awesome people such as Brandy and Brian. Uh, there, there's multiple tiers, of course, depending on what you're interested in looking for. Uh, there you'll get ad-free episodes of the show. You'll get live access to the show. You'll get early access to the show. Uh, you'll get live replays of the show. Um, there's also going to be some Patreon-exclusive shows coming in the near future, of course. So keep your uh, ears open for that one. Um, if you guys want to donate to the show directly, uh, you guys can do so through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, um, even Red Circle, which is the RSS host. And uh, 
if you guys don't mind leaving a little note or anything like that, or at least putting your name with it, of course, I want to give you guys a shout out on the show because uh, you guys are helping me to progress the show and to uh, keep building up the show. And uh, a lot of that donation stuff is going to go directly towards the show. Well, not a lot of it, all of it. It's just a matter of, is it going towards technical equipment or is it going towards vending? Because this year I want to get out and about. I want to be able to come and meet you guys, come and see you guys. In order to do that, I'm going to need some uh, some gas money. So uh, some of the intention is building that up and being able to get out and about with all the you guys. So the only way I'm going to be able to do that is with your guys' help. So uh, the other way you guys can support the show is by going and checking out the Open Minds Media merch store, where there you'll find merchandise for all the different shows that I do. I do request, though, that if any of you guys get any shirts off there, uh, even if you don't like your face on it, if you guys don't mind sending me a picture of you wearing the shirt, uh, i definitely love to give you a shout out on the social media pages and just show that there's people out there in the world spreading the love of the show, of course. Uh, if you guys want to spread some more love, you guys can go and check out Crypto Theology. Crypto Theology is your one-stop shop for cryptid, alien, paranormal, all that fun stuff, all that kind of gear. Uh, you guys can go and check that out. Uh, he's always making new designs over there. He's always expanding on stuff. He's doing a lot more with events this year. So there's a lot of event exclusive designs. So always building up over there too, just as much as we are over here. So go and show your love and support to Joe over at Crypto Theology. Uh, everything that I mentioned, of course, all available under the link tree, which is down in the show description, or it's L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Inquiries of Our Reality Podcast. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, author Tim Moon. How's it going today? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, doing wonderful, actually. Absolute pleasure to uh, okay. get you on the show and be able to sit down and have a conversation with you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, so thank you. So uh, for anybody that isn't familiar with uh, who you are, your book, um, before we really get too in-depth with your book, uh, why don't you kind of give people a background of like who you are, what you do, and some of, some of your interests? Well, my name is Tim, Tim Moon. I'm a teacher and administrator at a school in Leander, Texas, which is just outside of, of um, Austin. And I uh, am a first-time novelist, uh, and I just wrote a book uh, called Tomato Fields that is in Amazon. And um, if uh, it's, re- it's related to the cryptid creature, you know, a cryptid creature that uh, that gets into some problems in a small town in in Mason County, Washington, and requires people to try to get rid of him, and it it takes people to places they don't want to go, <laughs> and uh, changes the way people think about reality. And I, I kind of like stories like that, so I wrote it that way. And um, it's basically uh, Bigfoot, but it's. I try to take all the the different possible interpretations of what Bigfoot is and have a little bit of each of those in there so everybody can come out feeling like their interpretation was somehow represented without taking a stand on it. Because I like it when there's mystery. Of course. Because it's one of those things that we'll never really know the answer to to begin with. So it's always fun, of course, to create theories on it. If we know the answer to that, we're going to know the answer to a lot bigger things that we we may not know want to know the answer to. <laughs> so it's there's a lot of mystery involved in this thing. And 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 uh, so 
that's one of the reasons it fascinates me. So uh, kind of bringing it back to the book, what inspired you to write the book? Was it uh, events that happened near somewhere where you lived or was it just your fascination with uh, the strange to begin with? Well, it was a combination. I uh, have been fascinated by the subject since I was just a kid. I watched uh, in the movie theater the legend of Bogey Creek and it just captured my imagination. And ever since I've been curious about stories when I hear about them and when people tell me about them, I uh, ask a lot of questions and I've always read stories and investigated it and generally felt like it was probably true, something, I don't know what it is completely, but something about it was true. And and then uh, I was with my brother about 10 years ago and we were doing some work for my uncle and he we, I think Finding Bigfoot came on. And so I asked him, have you ever seen anything weird? I mean, what's the weirdest thing you ever saw? And he just, he flat out told me that he was uh, at his house out in the rural country area in Mason County. And he's, he came, this Bigfoot came out of the woods and, and screamed at him and freaked him out really bad. And it was pretty class A Bigfoot sighting as, they, as they're categorized. Uh, he screamed at him. He he smelled it first before he saw it, and then he ran into the house and grabbed his gun and looked out the window, and it stopped screaming, turned around, and walked back into the woods. And he thought it was coming to get him. And it was about ten feet tall, eight eight. I'm sorry, it was eight to nine feet tall, roughly in there. He could measure it because it was standing next to a pole that he that had. Uh, little clips on it that he could measure the the height of something later on. And so when he told me that story, I was kind of shocked because he had never told me. And he he said he'd never told anybody it happened because he didn't want people to think he was crazy. And it kind of inspired me. And and also, I'd been thinking for a while, there's a lot of nonfiction books written on the subject, but there's there's not very many novels and I thought I was thinking fiction could be a good way to draw attention and maybe some emotional validity to this creature if 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 you can tell stories that that make sense to people that kind of go down into them. And then maybe you could win some people to the the mystery and and help create interest and in maybe um, knowledgeable people. So just just something I was kind of thinking about and and I like to write and I always put off things ideas I had and thinking I wasn't why would I be able to do that and or that I wasn't good enough or it was too much work and I just said I need to do this I just need to do it and do the best I can and I that's what I think I've done and and see how it goes. And so I just worked and worked and finally figured it out and learned a lot. It takes a lot to, to write a book. There's a lot to learn. <laughs> and now there's a lot to learn in every aspect of it. So I, uh, but it was, a, it was a great experience. I wouldn't replace, I wouldn't uh, want to replace it with anything else. I, it was very much worth the time, although I thought it would be worth the time for different reasons than I do now after I've written it. So it's that. 
if that uh, makes any sense. Oh yeah, definitely. Personal gain more than anything when it comes to, especially your first book, of course. Um, yeah. so how long did it end up taking you to write this book? And then also, are you self-published or are you published uh, through a publishing company? It's self-published. Oh, even better. Amazon. I feel like that's uh, usually yeah. a positive because then at least you can kind of do a little bit more with the book and you're not held to a specific way of like, they, they want the book to be a specific way and it's just less hands on the book. It gives you a little more freedom, but you're on your own. So you have to learn everything and figure it all out pretty much yourself unless you want to pay people a fortune to, to tell you what to do and so, and that might not work anyway. <laughs> you might just wind up paying a fortune. <laughs> so it's, it's a little, there's a lot, a little bit of a minefield. Um, it does give you a little more freedom. Uh, and I didn't, I mean, I, I was a first time novelist and I um, didn't have a big name. And today the corporate publishers only go after people who are either um, accomplished already or they're they're famous because the, they're so expensive to print these books and publish these books. They they don't want to take risks on unknowns uh, very much. So there's that's just there's nothing I can do about that. I would probably be the same way if I was running a you know a corporate publishing business, but. It doesn't help the new young artists very, yeah, no. <laughs> very much. So. <laughs> but at least so. there is opportunities with the internet that you're able to look into how to publish for yourself rather than you know walking yeah. around to a bunch of print companies trying to figure out pricing, things like that. Oh, and as far as yeah, promotion goes too, a million times easier over the internet than how it used to be. <laughs> it's a lot easier in, 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 a, in the respect of being able to do it, but it's very dense. Someone told me that yesterday they were talking to me and they said the internet is dense. And that's right. It's dense. It's very dense. And so now the challenge is penetrating that, but it's all fun though. I'm enjoying it. And, uh, uh, it was been a valuable experience and I hope to keep doing it. So, so. I'm assuming, uh, you got more work that you're thinking about doing in the future then? Yeah, I want to do a sequel. I'm starting to research and investigate for that. So I'd like to do a sequel and maybe another one after that, kind of a series that helps bring together some of the mysteries that seem to be associated with this particular mystery. And, and um, maybe uh, do different parts of the country and maybe even parts of the world so you show <clears throat> the animal from a different perspective different geography uh they're all over the world <laughs> they're in languages they're from different languages different religions different ethnic groups uh and uh, they're they're very similar <laughs> they do very similar things with some slight variations so it would just be interesting to make bring that to light a little more maybe in a in, in a fictional way and kind of and humanize fiction, them too. Yeah, humanize them a little bit. I think I did with this one. And by fiction, I don't mean completely fantasy, you know, that no reality to it. It's really fiction based on some patterns that were that that are pretty well established. Um, you just come up with new ways of of demonstrating the the patterns and showing people. 
that's that's what I try to do. Use my imagination and and write an interesting story and interesting characters and how they try to solve a problem they didn't even know they had and in a really quick period of time and it just puts this pretty dramatic and fast paced and fast moving. So that's what I tried to do. I know that uh, earlier you kind of mentioned that you included multiple theories on Sasquatch. Uh, what are some of the theories that you include in your book? Well, it's more just demonstrating the possibility than it is talking about the theory. I never talk about the theory uh, other than through an Indian uh, Native American chief or form, I guess you would call him chief, but elder in his community that is a accomplished hunter and tracker who helps them. And he's aware of the his tribe's understanding of what Bigfoot is. So he gives some insights here and there, but it's not in a philosophical sense. It's more in a, in a, a traditional tribal type sense. And, and um, the, but I demonstrate how it can be there and then be gone, just disappear, or how it can move faster than anything could possibly move that's that big. Or uh, how it can uh, be very loud and then also uh, be really quiet. And you don't, you know, you just don't even know where it is. It's like it disappears. And I never take a stand on it. I I don't really know what it is uh, exactly. I know that it demonstrates certain characteristics are contradictory. Um, that was my podcast reminder. I should probably turn that off because every once in a while it's going to come on unless you can edit it out. But regardless, uh, so I, instead of talking about the different theories, I just demonstrate some of the different behaviors and capabilities that people claim they have. Um, and, and, uh, and then I let the reader decide what they think. So at least from your research, and I know that everybody's opinion definitely changes frequently when they have more information, but at least currently, where, where do you sit as far as Sasquatch phenomenon? Like, what do you think they are? Well, I wonder, because I kind of think of it in a lot bigger picture than just this planet and, and this Earth that we're sitting on. This is a very small planet in a very small solar system in a very small galaxy of trillions of galaxies and tr- billion, I mean billions of galaxies and trillions of planets. And it's been around 14 billion years and we're just a small part of it. And it's very likely, and I think it's likely at least that these animals maybe started on a different planet and were brought here exported here and, and the reason i wonder that i don't know that nobody knows but i because they do things that are seem to be physically impossible they seem to defy physics in how they move and how fast they are and how they, they're not gorillas they don't <laughs> these are not gorillas they're not monkeys they are something that that could be supernatural to the sense that we understand natural powers because supernatural just means it's beyond the powers we understand. But I think it's possible that it came from another planet and just got 
placed here or something. Um, but I don't know. Uh, it, it could be natural. It could have developed here. But it just seems foreign. And you know how in Superman, where he's super here, but on his own planet, he's normal because of the kryptonite. I wonder if they didn't, they didn't develop their, the primary DNA didn't develop on a planet where gravity was much stronger. So they needed so the extra slowed, strength. So here they so have it like slowed crazy them strength. down. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder. And now when they get here, boom! They just take a step, and they're on the top of a tree. You know, they just can just do things that blow your mind, and they make movements. Apparently, that that just you go. The, it stuns people that because they've never seen anything move like that. So it just makes me wonder if that's not possible. But. Who who knows until they have one in a box somewhere, no one will know. And I honestly don't think I, that's probably already happened. I, I think the government knows more than it is telling us. And I think it knows more about a big picture, mm -hmm. not just Bigfoot. Bigfoot's just a microcosm of a macrocosm that is very mysterious and hard. And it just seems like someone knows something that, that we don't know. And it's just... It's like we're having to grasp all the time for little pieces of evidence to put it together. And, but I think there's a lot bigger picture that someone's not coming clean on for whatever reason. And I don't know all the reasons. I can only guess. I mean, it could even be right in front of our face, too. I don't, I don't know if you dig into like the, all the Anunnaki stuff, considering that I know that you're into the UFO stuff, but I've also yeah. kind of theorized that if they were mixing their DNA with things that were here, trying to create another race that could be like a slave race for them, assumably they would have tried out multiple things to figure out what was going to work. So maybe humans, the whatever mixture of what we were with their DNA ended up being the best result, and that's what they ended up uh, producing in mass quantities, but that doesn't mean that they didn't necessarily mix their DNA with like an with a different type of ape or mix their DNA with like a wolf type being and create like dogmen and things. And what we have left could just kind of be remnants of things that were created, but they were more of like a side project. And I mean, there is some reference of them trying it with multiple species. So maybe rather than looking at Sasquatch, like it's a common ancestor of us, maybe we need to look at it again, kind of like you're saying where it's more of a bigger picture where they're not human like we're all like something else. Yeah, that's that's my feeling. That's just kind of the way I've I've come to see it. I don't try to figure it out as much anymore as as I do just enjoy the mystery. And I uh, I think that that it's probably something you know out of this world. <laughs> I know that's a a pun there, or a, but. Um, it may very well be out of this world more than just unusual. I mean, so, even connecting in with what you were saying, if gravity's different, if they were potentially coming from another planet and they just got dropped here, um, even like height-wise, if they don't have as much gravity pushing down on them, on their oh. planet, they might only be like five, six foot tall, but on this planet, because maybe the gravity's less and that's why they're stronger, like you were saying, that could also result in how they get so high is because they don't have that constant right. gravitational force pushing they, down they on them. They grow bigger, they grow stronger. Yeah, it could be. And I mean, the, even um, just uh, them just adapting to different environments there, like you were mentioning earlier too, there's so many different variations of Sasquatch that 
there could either one, they could be just like us. Maybe they're more human bi- or more earth based than we think they are. And they adapt to different environments or potentially maybe they're another species that's being tried out and they've, they're testing out different variations of them in different regions to kind of figure out what works. And then that kind of goes back into the whole idea that earth may be a theoretical, like Petri dish for a bunch of different animal species. Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, if with all those trillions of planets and billions of galaxies, you, there is, there is something going on. Okay. It's just, we can't just sit here and think we're it, you know, I think we're important. And I, I think God has a purpose for all of us and all of creation. And I think uh, we we uh, need to, to do our best to find out what that is. But I don't believe we're the center of re- of everything. Mm-hmm. I think His creation. His imagine. Um, just look at the diverse creativity that we see on this planet. The things that exist imagine on all these other planets and trillions of planets and billions of galaxies and 90 billion light years of, you know, (laughs) around, it's just unbelievable how big the universe is. And it might be one of multiple universes based on quantum physics and gravity and all of that. There's all kinds of possibilities and it must be amazing the different things that are created and live out there. And uh, that would just blow our minds. And we just have such a small little perspective on all of that. I think that that hurts us. I mean, even going back to like earth and like the kind of God concept, um, just another way of potentially looking at it is not even necessarily from like a magic component, but if there is some type of race that has some type of advanced technology, uh, what we perceive as God could just be the curator, so to speak, for this specific planet. And that being said, also, there could be a different, it could be in the same race as the being that started our planet, but they could potentially be different, be starting different groups on different planets, just kind of figuring out what works for each of them. And then each planet's perception of like what God is, is a completely different thing. And going back to like ancient people trying to rationalize what they were seeing, they were putting like a magic title on it or like there was this bigger entity that was like above all of us, but breaking it down now um, with more understanding, I mean, it could, it could have just been something with advanced technology that had the ability to, you know, start life at least on a planet. And that could be like what we're perceiving as like the, the God of where we live. Well, I think, I think that the way I the way I see it, and it's just my opinion, but but the way I see it is that the I'll start wait the the way I see it is that that we are created in the image of something, and we have rationality, and that and we have a sense of ourselves that other things don't have, other animals don't have, and. I think that that rationality demonstrates something about where we came from. And, and so, and I also believe that there's a, there's a um, benevolence to whatever that is. I have to believe that there's something good behind all of this or, or why, you know, why even care life in the first place, (laughs) why give a crap? You know, and so I believe there that there is a God and that he does care and love, love us. And 
we are part of an important part of his creative forces and that there's some transcendent uh, ele- there's some transcendent evidence of that of, of how we can sense his presence and I think we can sense his presence if we if we uh, if we want to if we calm down and, and, and let him touch us and so but I, th- I think that it's been affected by other things in the universe. I mean, that you, what you're saying about maybe seeds we've been planted here by other civilizations, I, that could very well be true. But I think somewhere they were planted, and then somewhere they were planted, eventually you get back to the original cause, which I think is more of a divine in nature than it is in uh, than just accidental or or... Or something like that. So that's just kind of how I look at it. So I mean, I've even made kind of theories on this that one race will end up creating their predecessor, and it's a continuous thing that goes down the line. So if you do get into like the Anunnaki theory, for example, um, we could have been the predecessors. Whoa, sorry, one of my dogs knocked something over. Uh, we could have been the predecessors of them, and then continuing on with where we are now, uh, we're in the process of creating AI, so we could even be creating the next evolution of life, and that could continue on down the chain, and this could have been something that's been happening since the dawn of time, that the last race or generation creates this next race that's going to predecess them, and it's just a continuous chain. Yeah, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but all I do feel is that be- because of the nature of reason and and the sense the present the sense that i experience with god i feel like there's a divine uh, a, a divine origination of all of that even though sometimes it looks bad <laughs> because i think that people can can choose to do the right thing or they can choose to do the wrong wrong thing and um, so sometimes it looks pretty bad, but in the big picture, I think it's all going to end the right way. <laughs> and, and we are made special, um, and in a way that can connect to that divinity in an intimate way. So I, I really feel positive about the, where the universe is going and, and, um, I don't understand it all, and I think sometimes people do more to cover it up than they do to uncover it. But I do think that we're we're uh, we're in a special place, and that life is a special thing. I mean, I feel like conflict is definitely needed for growth. So no matter what, if you're going to create a race of being of of people, um, be it you're coming at it from like a God perspective or something else, um, in order for your race to get better and progress, uh, you're going to need some kind of conflict. So in order for it, it's to kind of go to the same where in order for people to really appreciate the good, they need to have something bad happen. Otherwise everything's just kind of neutral along the way. But if you don't have a conflict for things to progress, then essentially you're just, you're, you're just going to sit stalemate and nothing's ever going to evolve. You're never going to have a reason to, keep growing as a race. And I mean, I'm assuming the end intention is that no matter what the creator is, uh, they want you to eventually get back to them. So I almost feel like life is intended to be almost like a series of um, like lessons in order to get you to where you need to be. Because even if you're going to progress into being something that's 
uh, I guess uh, like above people or ascending into something else, um, you're going to need to at least have the base information in order to get to that point. Because if at that point, you know, you have powers that are, or what we perceive as powers, but something more where you could even potentially create life. If you don't have a good premise of what's good versus bad, then the possibilities are endless on you being able to potentially create evil. Like you need, you need to be able to see both sides of the coin. I think there's, yeah, I think there are lessons and lessons make changes and make us hopefully uh, better and um, more aware and maybe wiser. (laughs) So, and conflict is part of that. So, there's a Chinese uh, there's a Chinese story about a Chinese a poor Chinese farmer who's has a son and they're uh, that he his son does all the work in the yard and one day all these wild horses came down and just were right there and they grabbed all the horses and put them in the stall and all all the townspeople came out and said you're so lucky all you've got all now all these livestock, you're going to be so wealthy. And and the old man said, yeah, maybe, I could be, maybe not. And then the next day his son is trying to break one of the horses and he's thrown off the horse and his leg breaks and he can't, he can't fix, he can't help him do the farming and can't help him take care of the horses. And so all the people come out and say, geez, this is terrible. Look what happened to you. Life is awful. Your, your son can't work. You, what are you going to do? You're too old to do the work. And how bad that was. And he said, oh, it might be bad. It might not be bad. And then the next day, a, a warlord goes through looking the town to get all the able-bodied men to go to war and fight in a war. And some of whom were killed, but they couldn't take his son because his son had a broken leg and they didn't want someone with a broken leg. So now everyone thought he was so lucky because that his son got spared. So we look at the conflicts that we go through and the problems that we have, and we look at them as they're, they're negative, and, but sometimes they're, they're blessings in disguise. And, and sometimes the things that look like blessings aren't really blessings. <laughs> and so they're, they're more lessons. They're more opportunities to have lessons. So, I think that that conflict and the struggles that we have um, are good for us. I mean, more often than not, I feel like if you take most bad situations that have happened to you, uh, they end up resulting in something good later on that wouldn't have happened if that negative thing didn't happen. Because again, going back to the fact that you need conflict in order for growth to happen, uh, just because something from like my life, um, I was having an issue a while ago with a boss that was like a super rude boss. And they got to a point where they were like that in front of everybody and we had to deal with it. So because of that, they got fired and then we ended up getting slid into that position. So it was like, you have to deal with that external struggle for a while, but because of that, now you know what not to do. So you can also use that as a lesson on how to go about your life, knowing what somebody else's mistakes were. And even if you make the mistakes yourself, then that just gives you an opportunity to grow in the future because you know what other That's things right. not to do again. That's right. And uh, having people criticize you is only bad if they're not telling the truth or you don't want to hear it. You don't, you don't want to change. But change is good. It's good that we change. And and sometimes other people are better at seeing what we need to change than ourselves. Oh, yeah. And if, if we're open to that, we're, we're going to benefit from it. 
So anyway, I agree with you. Yeah, it just has to, like you said, come back to a place of not not being a troll, but somebody that actually cares. And then you have to take the words in, into consideration and kind of interpret it yourself. But kind of goes back to the fact that if you don't want to hear it, like you were mentioning, then it, it's regardless. It kind of gets thrown out the window. Like you have to, in or, you have to be able to see your flaws in order to be able to grow and build yourself in the future. I agree. And if if people are secure in who they think they are instead of who they really are, they'll be less likely to listen Mm -hmm. to criticism. And, but if you're secure in, in who you really are, then you aren't worried about if someone can show you more about that or if they're wrong, you can listen to them without getting insecure and just say, you know what? I just don't think that's correct, but at least I'll hear them out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And 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 you're just secure. When you're secure in something bigger than your ego, you can relax a little and take the world with a grain of salt if if it doesn't if it's not if it doesn't make sense for some reason and not be angry or hostile toward it. So uh, kind of wrapping around back to your books, because now that we've kind of opened the door on like bringing like uh, the biblical aspect into things, um, have you ever gone into your books or do you have intentions in your books to kind of go into the whole like Nephilim uh, theory as far as Sasquatch goes? Um, I haven't really. I didn't touch on that much. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that if um, because the little I know about Nephilim um, – it doesn't seem to me to be that. Okay. But I'm not, I mean, it might be, but it, it seems like that's the angels coming down. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Down and um, having uh, uh, babies, or for lack of a better word, offspring from, from living things on Earth. And it, it seems to me that and I can't remember exactly why now. It's been a while since I looked into it, but there were things that didn't make sense to me about that story, about that being the the Bigfoot, the Bigfoot being that. But it could be. I don't I don't uh, rule anything out. And I honestly, I'm kind of embarrassed. I can't remember why I drew the conclusion that it probably wasn't Nephilim. So I'd have to go back and do a little more research before, to be able to tell you that I've just been focused on other areas. So, I mean, characteristic wise, um, as far as like biblical aspects going, connecting it with Sasquatch, um, I feel like the closest thing, even like behavioral wise, is like giants. Um, yeah. And I mean, even connecting into like Native American folklore, um, I was talking to somebody on the show about it recently with the the burial mounds and uh, just yeah. a lot of the things they do. I feel like um, there's there's a tie between the old world giants and Sasquatch, be it that they're descendants of them, um, be it yeah. that they're another like they're variant is. race of them. Like there, there's something to it. Well, I think the giant thing is, and I think they've hidden the giant thing too. I don't understand why they they don't want to make the it 
public that there's been these giants throughout history that that there's ample evidence to support, but for some reason they don't want that to be public knowledge. Um, and I think that, like the idea of a Gigantopithecus, that's they they often think that Bigfoot came from him, and I think that's very possible. That seems to be very that seems to make a lot of sense to me. And I don't know if that was Nephilim. It seems more like it was a, just a creature that was either created here or like I think might've been brought here, but you're familiar with Gigantopithecus, right? Yeah, of course. It's, it's and, and they think he started in Asia. I wonder if they're not just really are just relatives of that thing, or that could have been one of the first ones or something. I mean, even um, kind of bouncing into some other theories too. In North America, we had the uh, the giant ground sloths. Um, I mean, I, I just a pessimistic way of looking at it, and I really hope it isn't the case. But a lot of the uh, old world encounters with Sasquatch could have potentially been misinterpreted uh, giant sloths too. Yeah, underground. There's a lot of evidence that they do go underground at least part of the time, and into caves and things. So it's very possible. So. It's also very interesting that all of the Native Americans talk about it, but they all talk about it different. And some see it as a positive, and some see it as a very negative. Some see it as just something you leave alone. You leave them alone, and they typically leave you alone. But it's very interesting that that there's different takes from tribe to tribe and from nation to nation uh, of, of the Native Americans. And... So I just, there's a lot of interesting stuff on the subject. I mean, that could even just be just like people, you know, with different experiences comes different results of behavior. So if you had a group of Sasquatch that had nothing but positive interactions with people, then of course they're going to be a more friendly species of them. But then if you have another one where every single time the human saw them, they started chasing them down or throwing things or... Uh, back in the day, of course, going after them with like bows or whatever, then they're going to have this idea of avoid humans. And if you see them, scare them away from you. So maybe the intention, again, even with the more violent encounters, the scary encounters, isn't really so much that they're trying to hurt you, but they've had a bad experience in their past or generationally. And sure. they're just trying to scare you away by using their size to their advantage. I also think that that there used to be an advantage. They used to have a distinct advantage. And when they did, there was more interaction between people and and us, people and them. But I think gunpowder changed that because that that became the great equalizer. And then I think it caused them to back off, to, to stay away more. And that's why we don't have very much experience with them for the most part. But the Native Americans had a lot more because they were more, they were less equal. They were, they were not as strong, not as fast. Arrows were all right, but the arrows isn't going to kill a 10 foot, you know, monster. Um, it, so there may have been, they may have been more brazen at one point than they are now. I mean, even going into Native American legend, too, you have them chasing down a group of uh, giants that had red hair, um, a bunch of tribes teaming up and luring them into a cave and then setting fire to the cave, trying to get rid of them. 
Um, yeah. If they are potentially some other variant species of giants or some kind of descendant of giants, um, maybe that was a more aggressive group where they actually would eat people and it was more of a cannibalistic group. But maybe because of that, they just said, okay, so all these Native Americans just teamed up to take down these giants. We don't look too far from them or we are generally close to them. So maybe just out of our safety, seeing what happened to them, we should just avoid them altogether. Um, because that just shows the potential of, it doesn't matter if they are a bigger group than people are. If people have bigger numbers, then the size is irrelevant. Well, yeah, that's true. You have to have more numbers. That's I'm sure they hunted them in bulk if they did it. So um, you have to, I, without guns, I don't know how you could do it. Mm-hmm. Even with gun, even with guns, um, it ta- in my opinion it takes multiple shooters uh, with who know what who who have some idea what they're doing, some kind of plan, <laughs> and uh, so. But, I mean, you had the giant of Kandahar that happened in Afghanistan. Um, some people believe yeah. it, some people don't. But supposedly, it took multiple men uh, with repeated gunfire to this thing's face before it was even taken down. After it already took somebody down. So even with advanced weapons, <laughs> ten people with rifles took it took a minute to take something that big down. <laughs> yeah, they had to decapitate it. I think, if I remember right, pretty and much. That was that was pretty much what I think you have to do to these things to kill them because. As long as they can breathe and see, I don't think you can do much. <laughs> the big ones, maybe smaller ones are different, but they're pretty pretty dangerous if if you get on their wrong side. So um, I was thinking when you brought up Afghanistan, did you ever see the 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 video about the Russian soldiers in Afghanistan when the Russian soldiers were there? They were keeping this one area and and it and it was kind of haunted and then when the american soldiers took the same place they experienced the same hauntings and they thought there was enemy where there was an enemy and it was it was very interesting if you're interested in stuff like that you can probably find it by doing a search on the web i'll have Um, to look into that i haven't actually heard of that before yes it's very interesting they found themselves shooting at things that weren't there and it was pretty scary and it's mostly the American side, but it, they talk about the Russian side cause they see a lot of ghosts and things. It's, it's pretty bizarre. So did you by um, chance happen to dig into like what the lore uh, may have been behind that or like what may have resulted in that haunting? I think it was the experiences the Russians had when they invaded Afghanistan against the people from Afghanistan. But that they were fighting and then many of them died and they were haunting the place that the Americans now were there. Now the Americans were there uh, in the same place fighting for the same property and they were experiencing the hauntings from the Russian ghosts, I think. I I think that's what it was. So it was very fascinating, but it could have been even gone even further back into tribal lore that this was like special ground that the relatives had died on and it even had that as a result but i don't remember that 
Yeah, could have, I was thinking it may have been disturbed land, something like that, because it seems like Afghanistan is pretty full of lore. And uh, I mean, even yeah. connecting into something paranormal, too, if you get into like paranormal theories, there's the uh, whole idea of a residual haunting. So if something traumatic happened there, such as, you know, the Russian soldiers taking out all the villagers, um, it may not be that that's like an active haunting in the aspect of it being conscious and moving around, but rather it's like replaying something that's happened in the past. So, you know, American soldiers seeing people darting yeah. around, moving around, you're going to be shooting at them. And it may not be that they're like conscious or intentionally trying to scare yeah. them. It's just a replay of the traumatic event that happened. Yeah. Kind of an emotional thing that keeps replaying that. Yeah. I wonder if some of that isn't what hauntings are. That's um, a, seems what, where I seem to go more often than not is I kind of connect this uh, more of like a, I guess you could say interdimensional kind of concept to it where at least if you're looking at it from like a biblical perspective or even just like a spiritual consciousness perspective, I don't think that uh, like human souls or consciousness, whatever you want to call them, like just stay here. Like, I think there's another place where they go. I don't, I don't think that they actively stay here. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't think they do. Uh, And I don't know really what ghosts are. (laughs) I know again, it's like, I know what they do and I know what people see, but I don't really I I struggle with it. I think about it. I try to put it all in perspective, and I just don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things, know. too, that with the boom of the Internet and information, there's so many more theories that are getting put into this stuff. So it's like we went, we're in a yeah. spot with research where it was just what you read in books, things like that. And now so many different people can throw in ideas. So all of these different fringe topics, I feel, are starting to skyrocket as far as different potential theories go, where a ghost was a ghost 10 years ago, and now there's 30 different variations of what a ghost potentially could be. And all of them make sense. It's just it's, it's hard to know for sure because we're not capable as humans to get really into those, those realms yet. Like we may not have advanced enough technology or maybe we just don't have that, uh, that connection with the spiritual or whatever you want to call it. I think it's a lot of different things. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a mystery. And, uh, another thing I like to think about when we were kids, we had a ghost in our house and it was a, it was a child, and I think my mom did some research and found out a child had died in the house in the 30s. And we were just little kids, and my little brother would see him, and we would hear things in the kitchen that weren't there, and pots and pans would get moved around. And um, it was very, things would come one time, something came off the mantle and fell off the mantle and broke, and nobody was there. It just lifted off and broke. And most of the time, that was the worst thing that ever, most of the time it was very, no one was ever scared. It did scare my grandma. My grandma wouldn't come to the house anymore because <laughs> it did something weird under her bed and she couldn't see anything and she freaked out and left. But um, for the most part, it wasn't uh, mean or scary. It was just something we just learned to realize was there and existed and it just was a little, for lack of a better description, kind of part of the family. And everyone just put up with it. I never saw it. Joe saw it a couple of times, my other brother. And uh, my mom had different experiences with it. But I heard it very clearly different times. And so we just kind of accepted it. And... Uh, but it, but it was different. It's, I don't understand it. 
I mean, kind of what we mentioned earlier in the show about things being a matter of perspective. Um, we seem to hide things that we don't understand with fear. So more often than not, That's it right. seems like there's objects that get moved around, things like that. When it comes to the paranormal phenomenon, I kind of question and wonder if if there is something that's on the other side, be it that it's conscious, another human being, like whatever you want to view it as, um, it may not be trying to scare you. It may just be trying to get your attention because it may not also understand what's going on with it. If it is a human soul, maybe it doesn't understand what's on the other side. Um, so rather than looking at it as fear, maybe we need to start kind of viewing it as like, look at the, look at the, uh, encounters in depth on what it's really doing. And if it seems like it's like trying to intentionally throw stuff at people, then yes, you may have an angry spirit on your hands, but if something's just moving something to the left, maybe it's something just we as just, simple as it's trying to get noticed. Yeah. It could be. And we just don't know. I think with the, the, the stories I've heard from Bigfoot encounters, same deal. They often are surprised by how we respond to them. We there I've seen I've heard different stories where they get killed, the Bigfoot is shot. And the Bigfoot I think it thinks it's it's communicating in a way that we take as a danger. And so we shoot them. And I I I it just seems to me like it was a misinterpretation of what the animal was doing because we were scared and there's, we should be scared. I mean, it's so freaky. I would be scared to death. So I can't judge people for that, but I still think it's a miscommunication sometimes. And sometimes people are the, are the um, victim of that and they wind up being the killed. (laughs) But sometimes I think the Bigfoot is the victim of that. And people, some people listening to this might think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, there's thousands of stories out there and hundreds that involved altercations between these things. And sometimes people are killed and sometimes the animal is killed. And, and it seems like a lot of it's like what you said, we're just scared to death and we react and we, it's a fight or flight type, fight or flight type situation. And we have big guns, so it tends to give us an advantage And uh, when we know what we're doing with them. So I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it definitely makes sense. I mean, even going into like miscommunication of language, like for example, if nobody's ever heard German before and somebody comes at him speaking German, you may assume that they're yelling at you just because it's a very like aggressive language the way it's spoken. It could be the same as Sasquatch where something comes up and it's making like a roar sound and that's just like on the low end of their spectrum of what they're potentially capable of or they think they're making like a soft, subtle noise to you. It comes off as a scream, but what they actually could be saying is just like, like, hello, like I'm here. <laughs> right, right. And and uh, they could, like, even cultures are different. My wife's from Hungary. It's a completely different culture than America. And sometimes they do things that I interpret as being something that it's not. And uh, so um, the... It, even cultures between different cultures, and even without language barriers, there can be issues. So imagine what it's like for a completely different species of animals. 
I mean, even signaling too. Like, think about how many hand gestures there are that mean totally different things in totally different countries. Like, thumbs up, okay. middle finger, very different. So, I mean, even just the sense of communication with like Sasquatch, with like Trinox, for example, um, that could also be an intentional, like, hey, I'm here. Or maybe they're trying to deter you away from being around something because maybe they're trying to tell you there's like a dangerous animal over here. But again, we're misinterpreting it because we don't know what the intention behind that signal actually is supposed to be. We're just looking at it from like what we perceive that it might be. We can only guess. Exactly. Yeah, we don't know. And when we try to do it ourselves, I think it's funny because they clearly know it's not them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're just too smart. They know when one person's doing it, a person's trying to do it, and when one of their who knows what they're doing is doing it. So it's kind of almost laughable, I imagine, for them. To see us hit trees with sticks. <laughs> yeah, they could be sitting watching in the background but, as you're doing it because they probably have full vantage on you at most points. So, because assumably they can see better eyes. in the dark and people are doing this kind of research at <laughs> night, like they could be right behind you watching <laughs> you and just laughing at you trying to do a tree knock. <laughs> they're just they're they're rolling their eyes, so <laughs> looking at each other and just pointing and. But anyway, who knows what they're doing? But uh, yeah, they they have a way of communicating and. All we know is that they're doing it. We don't know what that means. We can only guess. So kind of going back into your writing, of course, uh, before we run out of time, um, your books that you're coming out with in the future, uh, what what is kind of your intention for anybody that's uh, enjoyed your first book and they're they're looking forward to the next ones coming out? Uh, Just more mystery, more celebrating the mystery um, of that that particular subject and maybe adding a couple other dimensions into it like maybe a ufo connection maybe a light i don't know if you've heard much about lights but there's a lot of people seeing orbs and lights and stuff out in the woods and they seem to be have an association with these animals so at least there's a mystical connection of some kind so maybe bring in some of that and then just tell fun stories that cause people to think and change about, you know, how they see things. Um, and that are kind of scary and sometimes gory. I mean, even going into that, I was actually theorizing about that the other day, that even in nature, there's like ecosystems of things that they're not related to each other, but they benefit each other. Um, so, I mean, looking into more of like the the fringe world of the uh the mystical world. Um, I don't necessarily think that the orbs like are directly tied to Sasquatch, like a lot of people believe, but I definitely think that they're another thing that has some type of association where they're beneficial to each other. Maybe they like point stuff out or when people are coming or something for them or there's something to it, but I think that they're a totally different thing that they just use each other to, to a benefit. It could be. I just, I honestly don't know. I just think it's, very interesting that they they seem to be seen often together. Um, so, and there's some connection with the UFOs and Bigfoot too. Um, it's circumstantial, you know. It's based on everything we have is based on circumstantial type evidence, but it's interesting. And I just think mystery is important. So, I like to think about it and talk about it and write about it. I always like to ask anybody that comes on that's an author and a writer, um, what are some of your favorite books that inspired you to want to start getting into writing for yourself? Well, to be honest with you, I'm a, a history historian and a teacher too. 
And I have almost entirely read nonfiction for a, for a long time. In fact, my wife thought, why are you writing a novel, a fictional novel, when you've just done mostly nonfiction? And, and I, I think it's just because I came to the place where I thought stories would be more persuasive to people than, than facts. And so I started toying with using stories to demonstrate some of these mysteries and make them seem more real to people. And um, I think I've had some success based on the reviews I've had. It's not perfect, um, but it's been pretty good reviews. So um, that's kind of how I got into f- fiction. There are some, there are, uh, a few books I did read a lot as a kid, but as an adult, I've done more mostly nonfiction. Now I'm starting to read. I like uh, I I really like uh, Stephen King. I'm reading. Oh yeah, legend. <laughs> some of Stephen King stuff, but just, I mostly just admire his writing. I, I, I read the story. The story's fun, but I'm mostly reading now. When I read novels now, I mostly analyze the writing. And he's just great. I think he's brilliant. And so I like that. And I'm starting to read more fiction now for that very reason, because I want to be a better writer and I want to to celebrate what, you know, what other writers are doing and see the great things they're doing and learn from them. So that's probably a selfish reason. <laughs> no, I mean, half of it, it's about inspiring others too. So, I mean, with what you're doing, at least you're coming at it from two different angles where you could be inspiring a next generation of like fiction writers, you know, or bringing in different characteristics into their stories that they enjoyed in your story. And then on the other yeah. end of it, if somebody, you know, wasn't really into like the nitty gritty Sasquatch stuff, they may read your book. And because of this book, now it's inspired them to dig into Sasquatch research on their own. So, you know, you're kind of benefiting writers and you're also so. could be inspiring people. that are actually trying to do like Sasquatch research, but that might be well, like their foot so. in the door into the whole Sasquatch concept. I hope so. I hope that it becomes a, a more, the more people get involved in looking into it. I, I just think it's a valuable mystery and uh, a lot of interesting things to, to look at and maybe eventually we'll figure it out. Maybe if enough people are involved in it, we'll figure out that part of the mystery. That would be kind of cool too, as long as it doesn't involve a lot of <laughs> tragic <laughs> loss of life. <laughs> so uh, your books going into the future, are they going to share the same name as your first book or are you intending on coming up with different names for them? Oh no, let me give you some details. The tomato fields comes from, this is written in the seventies and I kept it, I put it back in the sixties and seventies. So it would be before the Bigfoot name came, be, became big. And that I wanted to go back to where people didn't really know much about them and they were all, it was all brand new. And they did so tell it from that perspective. And I'll probably continue the series from that time period. And Tomato Fields was just a place where they used to dump sewage. Uh, they out in the country, they used to dump sewage. And then that sewage would, because it was human waste, would a lot of vegetables would grow from the seeds from human waste. And and there was a lot of uh, vegetables growing in this area where they dump sewage. It's just up above where my brother lived, where he saw the creature. And we just came up with the name Tomato Fields because the, there were lots of tomatoes uh, in that field. And and we wrote the story around that. I wrote the story around that idea. But that was really my brother's 
name of the name of it. He, he came up with the name of it. And so the next book will be a different name, but it could be the same series, a series of books, some of the same characters. Do you have any ideas of future names possibly, or is it still kind of up in the air? I've thought some, I've toyed with something on Mount St. Helens and I've toyed with something here in Texas called, uh, uh, just give me a second here. Um, uh, oh, geez. Now that I'm thinking about it, I, I'm spacing on the name, but there's a place in Texas, in East Texas, in the Sam Houston National Forest. Um, it's called, um, oh, I can tell you it's on the book. Just a second. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're good. It's called it's called The Big Thicket. Oh, gotcha. And it's in Texas. Very, it's, it has some unique stories, and I'm in contact with people to try to learn more about it and, and maybe go down there and look around a little bit and write a similar story around something that occurred there. So that those are possibilities. I also like to do the Australian Yowie. I've always been fascinated by Yowies. <laughs> oh, yeah. They but got uh, different other me. aspects that come with them, too. Like, they got the uh, the Mimis and the Queenkin, and they almost yep. seem like they could be tied to them and, you know, possibly be different variations, even. And they've got the Aboriginal background, too, down there, and I like that. I like the Native background. I think it adds a lot of mystique and and wisdom. And so I would like to be able to do that, uh, you know, again, like I did here. <clears throat> so anyway, that's the idea. So uh, I always like to do words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So be it that it may be to Sasquatch researchers or writers specifically, but if there's any words of wisdom you'd like to bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Well, I'd like to, my, I would like to share my uncle, I used my uncle in the dedication of the book. And I said that he, I thanked him for teaching me that reason without mystery was, was empty. And uh, mystery without reason was blind. <laughs> and <clears throat> I just used that in the dedication. So I think we need to have reason but not cold, dead reason. We need to have reason that's filled with mystery. And we have to have mystery that still has a, a picture frame. <laughs> you know, we, we keep the mystery inside of a, a frame of wisdom, of, of, of reason and logic. And <clears throat> I think that's kind of the challenge of life, that we can get too sure that we too sure of just cold reason and lose what makes life magical and real and or we can be so whacked <laughs> that we completely deny reason altogether and go off into delusional places and we're all we're probably all some of that <laughs> but but trying to somewhat stay within the frame of the picture would be good probably or at least trying to so yeah, keep the middle ground. And, and even going back to kind of what you're saying too, at the root of it, humans have a need to explore. So if there's not mysteries left in the world for us to explore, then humans as a race, we're, we're going to lose our touch. Like that's our passion. That's what we've always driven to do is to discover and to figure out about new mysteries. I, I think that's awesome. I, what would life be like without that? <laughs> 
Boring. It would be <laughs> bo- boring, kind of boring. So anyway, yeah, I agree with you. And that would be my wisdom. Um, if you, if you want to write, um, there's a lot of resources out there to help you learn how to, 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 to write books, fiction or nonfiction. I kind of became a self-student. I had to teach myself. It cost a lot of money to write a book if you wanted to spend Ten or twenty thousand dollars, you could do it really easily. I I couldn't do that, so I had to learn a lot by myself. And those resources are out there, like like you mentioned earlier. The it's it's easier to publish a book now than ever. Um, but at the same point, the competition is greater. Mm-hmm. There's a dense there's a denser nature to the composite competition. But if you want to just write good stories and tell interesting stories to people. I think that's the key, and I hope I've done that, and I hope that I can improve on that in the future, and that's my that's my goal, and so for whatever that's worth. <laughs> when it comes to books in particular, too, um, you can't go into it trying to get famous off of it. I think that just like most things in life, um, you got to take into consideration that things are a passion project. You know, like if you're just doing it for the wrong reasons, then what's the point of doing it in the first place? Do it because it's something you're passionate about and because it's something that you want to do. And then at that point, it doesn't matter if your book becomes huge. It doesn't matter if it only gets read by a handful of people. You did it for you and you did it because it was something you wanted to do. And at the end of the day, like nobody can take that away from you. It does give you a sense of accomplishment just that you finish it because it's a ton of work in it and to do it right. And, uh, and I didn't do everything right. I just did the best I could, but it, it, it's a lot of work and it's so easy to quit. There are so many opportunities to quit because there's nobody to encourage you. I mean, who are you? You've never written a book. What are you talking about? Let's, you know, let's talk about something else. So, you can't really get encouragement. Very few people, only a rare, rare few people encouraged it. And so you have to go through all that by yourself and push through. I'm sure you've gone through that with the podcasting thing. Oh, yeah. When I first started off, it was like I was the only one that really believed in myself. And like my family, of yeah. course, was like my girlfriend was very supportive, but nobody else had an interest in it. So I had to do it for me. And I did it because it's something I wanted to do. And at the end of the day, like I do the show for everybody to enjoy, of course. But, you know, I'm not going to not do an episode that I really want to do just because I'm worried about, you know, like the listeners may not potentially like it, but if there's an episode that I really, really want to do, um, I'm going to put it out regardless because it's for me. Yeah. you know. Well, that's kind of what you got to come to. And at some point you got to do it for personal reasons. And um, you always hope that something will be a success. I would be silly to say I didn't and I'm not, but if I had known what it was going to take to do this before I started, I probably would have quit. And if you would have told me what I was going to be happiest about after I was done, I know I would have quit. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was, I, was, I don't want that. I would have said, I don't want that. I'm not doing it for this. But now that I've done it, I'm going, wow, I'm so glad I did that. I feel so much so, like there's an accomplishment to it. Mm-hmm. Um that I feel like, I, and there's a greater confidence in what I what I can uh, what I can accomplish if I set my mind to it than I had before, and it's hard to it's hard to put a value on that. So I'm thankful I did it, and I think anybody who puts their heart and mind into something and, and completes it in a way that that they feel was worthy of the work they did, they they will be happy 
they'll gain much more out of it than money, although I hope some of them make money too. <laughs> and uh, it's a matter too of having your base to start, kind of like we referred to most of the time, a couple times in this conversation, where once you do your first book, now you kind of have an idea of what you're doing. So it makes it easier going into the future. Oh, yeah. And you already have that groundwork set. And now it's just a matter of running with it now that you've gotten the hard part out of the way. What took 10 years of toying and fiddling and then working really hard um, is going to take one year now because now I know what to do Mm -hmm. and I know pretty much how to do it. I'll still learn in the process and you know, from as many people as possible, but it won't be just feeling around in the dark, (laughs) trying to find the light switch as much as it was at first, the first time. You got your template at least. (laughs) Yeah, you got, you got it. And I think I can do another one in a year and maybe some other things in in the same time frame. So that's my goal. So uh, if anybody's trying to find your book or they want to come and check you out on social media, uh, where can they find your book and where can they come and find you? Uh, if you just look up Tim Moon or Tomato Fields, Tomato Fields is better. Go to Amazon uh, if you got an Amazon link and put in Tomato Fields, and it usually comes up. But you might have to put my name in too, and then put those both in. It'll come right up, and uh, then uh, you'll be able to see uh, it's sold both in ebook form in Kindle and in paperback. And it's mostly exclusive to Amazon right now. And so it, you won't see it if you look on Barnes & Noble. But, it, uh, <clears throat> but it's very accessible on Amazon. And of course, I will include the, I can, the link in the show description too. So it's quick and easy for anybody that wants yeah. to find it. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can send you anything you want. I've got pictures and stuff I can send you also. So... Yeah, that'd be great. And more, more, more the merrier. So, I think people will like it. It's more than just a horror thing. It's it's a cool story with funny characters. So sometimes funny, sometimes tragic. I really appreciate you making the time to come on the show today, and this has been an awesome conversation. And I really hope that uh, people go and check out your book. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you push out your next few books, especially knowing your, yeah, your backstory well, with it. Uh, and I'm rooting for you. I can't wait to see the next one. Well, I'll keep you posted. Okay. Of course. And uh, I appreciate you too and having me on. This is a great way to get the word out and it's really nice of you to do that. So thank you. Of course. If you guys enjoyed that conversation, don't forget to uh, take two seconds to go to Spotify and drop that five-star review or you guys can do it on iTunes. And if you guys are feeling so nice as to type out some kind of nice message with it, uh, I'll give you guys a shout out on the show, of course, and read it on the show. Uh, If anybody that you know may enjoy this episode, of course. Definitely don't forget to share it with them also. Uh, If any of you guys want to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, there's multiple ways to do so. Number one, shoot me a message on Instagram. That's the one that I'm the most active on. You guys can also email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com or you can go to the link tree and up at the top, there's a submission form that'll go directly to my email. Um, More often than not, everything seems to go to spam or junk that I send out. So make sure you keep your eyes in your spam or junk folder and make sure that my message doesn't get accidentally deleted or pushed into all the random bullshit that you guys got in your spam folders. Uh, Everything that I've mentioned, of course, all available under the link tree, which is uh, L-A-N-K-T-R period E-E slash increase of our reality podcast. 
Or you guys can go down to the show description, of course, and that link is quick and easy right in the forefront for you guys to go and check out and you guys can follow the trail into whatever you guys are looking for. So with that, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.